Welcome everyone to another episode of the Never Talk Gaming Podcast. We have a special guest with us. Hi, Katrina. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. And as usual, my co-host Robin. How are you doing, Robin? Good as ever. Good as ever. Um, as usual, when I have a guest, I allow them to introduce themselves because um, I guess you you can explain or I guess you can introduce <laughs> yourself uh, the best. So yeah. Um, Please introduce yourself, Katrina. Sure. So my name is Katrina Lena Dykus. I'm a Japanese to English localization specialist. Um, right now, I do a variety of jobs. Um, I've done some anime work. I've done some work for Netflix as well. But right now, my primary role is I'm a localization coordinator at Sega. I started off as a translator, moved up to editing. Um, I've done a lot of localization engineering as well. So basically, anything that has to do with getting a, a game from one language to another, I've kind of dabbled in. Um, my most recent release that I've worked on is I was a localization engineer on Lost Judgment, which just came out last week. Um, I was also involved in Persona 5 Royal, 13 Sentinels, um, and pretty much any release that's come out in the last two years. So, um, yeah, I love working in gaming. I love games and, uh, it's great to be here. Awesome. 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 Those are some really, really beefy <laughs> projects. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Some of my faves in there as well, so that's uh, nice to hear. Oh, which one? I love uh, both 13 Sentinels and and Defiant Oh, both you're my best friend. Games. 13 Sentinels is like top three games of all time. Like, it's so good. Yeah, I've been preaching that to Dennis for I don't know how long, but... I'm gonna um, play it eventually, Rosie. <laughs> Come on, Dennis. Get with the program. <laughs> Hey, at least I am like a, yeah, I'm the resident Yakuza fanboy, so I have that. I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> um, yeah, so you mentioned a lot of things there, like localization engineer, translator. To me, as a layman, I just think that there is, and sometimes in the credits, they just put translator. So like, mm -hmm. what what is... Like, what, what did you say? What is all that? Please explain to me. <laughs> That's, it is all good. So kind of to explain that, I'll go through the basic process of how we get a game translated or localized is what we usually say. So the first thing obviously you want to have is the localization either coordinator or producer. And this is the person who's just make sure that everything comes in from the developers, the translation and localization team has everything they need. They make sure everything comes on schedule and whatnot, especially when you know, you want to release the translated version of the game the same day as it comes out in the original country, whether that be Japan or America or anywhere else it's being developed. Um, so the producer is going to be in charge of making sure that the project proceeds smoothly. Um, and then obviously you need to start working on the text. So you'll have your translators who will go through and just do a very, a very I say simple, but it's not a simple sweep of translating everything from the source language, which in our case would be Japanese, into the target language, which again would be English. And then from there, the editors will come in, clean that up, make it a little bit more spicy. Um, like for example, with Yakuza, um, we have a very specific localization style. Um, so we wanna make sure we get that Yakuza punching in a lot of that humor as well to make sure that's reflected really well from the Japanese. Well, the translators and editors will also work together with the voice cast to make sure that the dub is going well. They'll sit on voice sessions, make sure that the dubbing both matches the image and also is portraying the same kind of meaning that the original did. On top of that, you'll have localization engineers. So that's become one of my more primary duties. Um, and it's a very new addition to the profession probably in the last 10 years. Um, and this is a person who works more on the technical end. So, so you've got a lot of text coming in from the developer in a certain text format, but that text format's not always gonna play well with the software you're using to translate or to use on the voice side. So the localization engineer will be in charge of making sure the dev text gets translated, or I should say converted over into those other formats. Um, they may also help with, you know, making sure all the files are formatted correctly. Um, going back to the developer and saying, hey, we're having this issue. Can we get an extra kind of like line break added in here and kind of working both sides with the localization and the dev team to make sure that in terms of like technical and software wise, we can get everything we need kind of to both sides. And then on top of the engineer, we're gonna have our QA testers um, who will both make sure that the game functions correctly in the target language. Um, Cause when you do localization every once in a while, like 
if something's too long, it might accidentally crash the game. So we have to tell the developers, hey, you know, it's crashing in French. We need to figure out what's going on. Um, and they'll also do a very quick sweep for things like spelling or, you know, little errors here and there. Or maybe sometimes the text goes a little bit outside the box and it might be, might not look the best. So our QA team really helps us out there. So yeah, so there's a lot of people involved in the localization process. And sometimes one person can play a lot of those roles at once, um, depending on how big or small the project is. Um, for, for example, for uh, Sonic Colors Ultimate, I was working as a localization coordinator, um, but on a game like Etrian Odyssey, I was working as an editor. So it really depends on what you're needed for at what time. But yeah, there's so much that goes into localization that I think a lot of people don't understand. And it's just, months and months of work to get a game from one language into another um and then it kind of you know everyone plays it and then they go on to the next game and so do you it's uh <laughs> yeah it's it's really fun and it's really rewarding but it's it's definitely uh definitely a facet of the game industry i don't think a lot of people think about absolutely like this i completely didn't even think about qa and and you saying that now i'm like of course of course qa is part of the localization team and mm -hmm. yeah like that's um that's very interesting. Like even the the bit you said about um, working with the dev team to uh, like on code. Um, mm -hmm. So are you involved from like the during the development process, or is like is the game done and then they're like, oh, we want to put it into English, and then they have to go back and and work on those things. Like, what's the general process with that? Sure. Um well, kind of like any project, it really depends on the game and what they want to do. In the very in the past, um, before kind of simultaneously shipping games in multiple languages was the standard, um, it was very common that the developer would come to you and be like, hey, we finished the game. We want to put it into these six languages. Um, here's the source code, bye. And then we wouldn't talk to them. Um, so it was on us to figure all that out. Um, nowadays, as we're moving, you know, the world is getting so much more globalized um, with how the internet's connecting us. Um, it's no, we're no longer like no country is really an island. Um, and developers and companies are realizing like, oh, we can make lots more money if we spend a little bit and localize into these different languages. Um, so now there's a lot of pressure in the industry to start shipping games day one with multiple languages, both with text, both with audio. Um, so as we're moving further and further into the future, we're getting approached earlier and earlier by devs who say, hey, like we're, you know, we're just finishing our alpha with this game. Can we start localizing it? Um, or even to the point where, whereas I think first, like with Square Enix and Final Fantasy 14, they will sit down like as they're starting to plan out the story for the next expansion and be like, okay, like how let's work out any kinks in the story this might have in different regions. Um, are all these character designs going to be okay? Do we need to tweak anything color-wise or symbol-wise? So they'll start very, very early making sure that all the designs for the game are as, you know, as polished as possible before even going into localization. Because sometimes, like in the olden days, when you would get a basically finished game dropped on your doorstep, you start going through it and be like, oh, there's all these issues. If only we talked to them six months earlier, we could have you know, made it a little bit easier for us to put more text in this box or maybe adjusted this design a bit better. But yeah, no, so I would say nowadays, most of my work involves coming in much earlier in the dev process. So they're not 100% done with the game, um, which creates its own problems sometimes. But I think it's it's always better, both for the developers, localizers, and the players, ultimately, if we can start as early as possible in the development process on localization. Okay, that's a, it's a big difference. Uh, you said that, you know, in the olden days, they drop things on your door and just say, oh, uh, localize the, we, this game is out has been out in, <laughs> for I don't know how many months and then you have to like work on the localization mm -hmm. and you're saying that now nowadays because of the pressure for uh, day one localizations you, you know things have changed the way you work has changed and all that stuff mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know if you're, if you are able to tell us this but has you know in a, in a related tangent has you know, Having day one localizations in, you know, in at least uh, English, yeah, at least English alone, and then EF, IGS, mm -hmm. has it kind of like improved sales? Like compared to, let's say, if you release a game in Japan and then six months later you release, uh, the localization comes out. 
does having a day one release like you know mm-hmm. is it better for sales and interaction and all that sort of stuff and day one localization you know that's a really good question um and as much as i do localization i actually don't hear too much about the sales side of things so i can't actually say like if the numbers really show which one is better or not yeah it's really hard i i don't talk too much about sales i've usually like once the game gets shipped i'm like sweet all right i'm already on like my next four projects so like i'm not even thinking about it <laughs> um but yeah that would actually be a really interesting thing to analyze i know that because of how interconnected we are with the internet um if something gets released in japan and day one there's not an english thing people get very upset because it's just like well why do they have it like i want to play it like it can't be that hard like come on just give us the game and it's like okay you don't really realize how this is gonna be um yeah uh, but then there's also the risk of games like for example like with certain yakuza games like near the end of the game there's big dramatic events that can be super spoilery for anybody um and you'll have a lot of diehard fans being like whatever i'll just watch a japanese playthrough and now suddenly they're spoiling a whole bunch of the fan base the fan base is like well i don't know if i want to play this game now that it's spoiled so i feel like there's probably a small percentage of players that might have bought the game or played the game day one if it was released in their language um but would rather not just because it's like whatever i'll just i'll just watch the japanese screen caps and kind of go on um but that'd be really interesting kind of study to do to see if that sim ship does affect sales numbers yeah i mean i'll i'll say like um i i think a good example maybe not sales wise but i'd say just zeitgeist and marketing i think it does help because i recall uh, Final Fantasy 12, I think there was a six month delay. Um, mm. I recall, obviously the internet wasn't what it is now, but like even back then I, I remember just that wait, you know, like it was <laughs> so grueling. And then when the game came out, cause it came out close to the PS3, it was kind of swallowed by the release yeah. of the PS3. And to this day, I still think Final Fantasy 12 doesn't get the, the, credit. the credit or the like it's one of the best ones it really is it's one of the best ones <laughs> and it, and it feels like no one played that game right uh mm-hmm. and i think it's similar with say the yakuza games whereas now they're an event you know like yakuza like a dragon was a big global event and mm-hmm. people still talk about it so i think it does help in that aspect but i, I i'll try and get a sales or marketing person on one of these days to, to kind of <laughs> figure that stuff out <laughs> yeah although just to just to not to correct you but i think yakuza 7 was actually not a simultaneous release yakuza oh, 7 wasn't? came out i think it was not it wasn't oh it wasn't oh shit, um, that's right it no. wasn't it came out on ps4 and then on mm, on, on xbox, xbox it yes. was a simultaneous global release yes but it had already been out on ps4 in japan for a bit yes but yeah, that just that goes to show like a good marketing team can really make you forget that kind of stuff that's but true that's no uh true. lost judgment i believe is our first yakuza game that's a simultaneous show yeah. even the f- judgment was not i believe the original judgment was not okay okay now and it's funny because you look back on it um and we're so used to that being the norm now that you look back and you think like wow like persona 5 really had that much of a delay between japan and you know being released out in the west and it's like yeah that was just how we did things you know back in the day but again now we're working a lot closer with publishers like not just at sega but across the industry um and yeah i think everyone's really benefiting from it though it does it does have different problems on either side like there's goods and bads about trying to do it like from a completed game versus a game that's in progress so just different ways of approaching the issue interesting interesting I have a, a question about like um, like with Lost Judgment. Uh, sure. I think it's one of the games that came out with a dub day and date, right? Like it, it launched with a dub, isn't it? Yes, it did launch with a dub. Um, how involved was uh, were you in that, or any other parts of the localization team? Were there any um, were there any new problems or solutions or? little finicky stuff that you found during that process what what was that like so you know i'm not 100 sure um most of my work on lost judgment was on the back end with localization engineering mm-hmm. um and i'm not really in a position to talk too much about the details of any one project um i can say that um 
with projects where we are doing, you know, an English track, like back when we did Judgment, when we did Lost Judgment, uh, Yakuza 7 also had the English track as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of different challenges that we have to go through. Um, typically, we are able to do it with the, you know, the Japanese is already recorded, so we can go back, kind of listen to how maybe a Japanese, like maybe Makoto and Persona 5, like, okay, here's how the Japanese actor interpreted this line. Let the English actor kind of hear it and be like, okay, like, this is how I want to do my take on that line. Um, so, I mean, I think there's there's all the issues of dubbing that you would see either in a movie or in an anime as well. One of the biggest issues we have in gaming is when lines have to be timed to like a cutscene, because depending on the language you're translating from and to, the length of the line can be much, much longer than it is that they, you have enough time to say it. So you have to either kind of cut it down and make it so that they're speaking less words. Um, you might lose a little bit of that original meaning, or you have to make them speak really, really fast, which does not always sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, no, the, I mean, the dubbing process alone, you could talk to me for like an hour about, um, but there, there's probably, a, there's probably a lot more people who are a lot more ver well-versed in the dubbing scene than I am, because I've been spending a lot more time on the coordination and uh, engineering side. Okay, okay, that's, that's, that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to ask more dubbing questions, but I, I, I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you, you can go ahead like i've been involved in dubs of both like anime uh i've worked on some marketing stuff for netflix dubs um i've i've done a lot of engineering for the dubbing uh, soundtracks and stuff and i was involved in the dub of oh gosh i think it was one of the persona dancing games i was actually helping out with the dubbing then um as well as the upcoming demon slayer game i did actually help with the dub with that as well um but yeah, I'm very willing to, to answer dubbing questions, but I I just can't say anything really specific about any project. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, th I think it was more to do with like the the. Um, actually, this is I was having this discussion with my friend um, yesterday, mm -hmm. and we were talking about like um, like Squid Game, right? And how mm -hmm. um, this is going to be a bit of a tangent, but I think you need the context sure. to understand. So we are film buffs whatever right so mm -hmm. um there's this kind of uh pompousness that some film people have with movies that are not american english right like there's he, he was saying there's this sort of quasi fetishization of like foreign film or foreign language film and that uh watching something dubbed lowers its quality or something like that and mm -hmm. we kind of uh, got into the uh, conversation of uh, uh, the discussion of like, it's kind of insulting to the people who work on that or to the dubbing artists, mm -hmm. especially for video games. It's like, okay, so you can't watch a dubbed anime because dubbed anime sucks, whatever. But then mm -hmm. that same actress is going to be, you know, Naomi Hunter in Metal Gear and she's the greatest of all time. It's the exact same person. So why mm -hmm. is this? bad but it's good in this and 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 <laughs> you know like um how do you deal basically the question how do you deal with the perception that dubs are an inferior quality mm -hmm. like does that, do you think that comes from just people not knowing how this actually works Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's kind of two facets to the issue. Um, there's one that's more of like a kind of a cultural and historical issue. Um, and then there's one that's more about looking at kind of translation theory as a whole. And translation theory is like my whole thing. I love talking about like the philosophy and science behind it. So, um, but anyways, like I used to be that person, like when I was a young weeb, I was super into anime. I was very much like, oh, if you're watching the job, it's bad. Um, and like this all comes, kind of comes back to that history and that culture. Um, uh, historically, I would say probably early 2000s, like anime dubs and to a lesser extent game dubs, we didn't have as much know-how about how we're going to dub them. Um, and they're very different from like dubbing a cartoon or, you know, dubbing a movie or whatnot. Um, you've got a lot of these, it's very culturally different. You've got a lot higher pitch voices um, and stuff. And that just comes from Japanese culture and how they do their media. It's like, that's how they're doing their acting. Um, so we tried to match that and it doesn't 100% work in English. Um, and I think there's just a lack of experience, a lack of, you know, seeing what works, seeing what didn't. Um, and I'm certainly a lot of very rushed dubs back in the day. Um, and this is even when you're waiting six to eight months for just like one DVD to come out after Japan. Um, so I think in, in the beginning, there was an issue with a lot of poor dubs. 
Um, and then those people kind of propagated this even now until today being like, oh, dubs have always been bad. Like, here's some really bad dubs that they point at. Like, and a lot of these really bad dubs were made 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, mm. So it's really not the standard anymore. Um, we have a lot of people now who are in the industry who are doing dubbing that grew up during that period. were able to see what worked, what didn't work and are able to bring that experience into them to the booth when they're directing, when they're showing voice actors how to do takes on them. You don't see them trying to match the Japanese super cutesy voice or super like bossy voices or whatever that the men might do anymore. Um, there's a lot, there's like a very different direction that the culture has taken dubbing anime into. To a lot of really good extents, like there's a lot of really great dubs of anime. So much to the point that we're seeing the symbol dubs, which are coming out like two or three weeks after the episode airs in Japan, you can mm. watch it dubbed. Like that's crazy to me. Like that's that's a crazy turnaround. Like those voice actors work really hard. Um, but I think because there's that history, um, and these people who have been anime fans for so long are just so used to saying that they haven't watched a dub in the last five or six years. Like because they don't, they still think dubs are going to be bad. So they propagate that out into Twitter, into the social media, saying, "Oh, dubs are bad. Dubs are bad. Dubs are bad." To the point where, you know, people might meme on it like, oh, haha, dubs are bad. But that just becomes kind of thing in the same way that someone might be like, oh, like PC is the best PC master race um, without realizing that there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do on a console or, you know, stuff that, you know, might make a console more appealing to somebody rather than buying like a $3,000 PC. Mm. Um, so there is that culture, I think, that makes people kind of hesitate to go towards dubs because like, oh, I don't want to waste my time if it's bad. So I think that's one facet of it. And understanding that makes me be like, okay, like I used to be like that. I understand. I don't take it personally. Like, it's okay. You'll watch a good dub someday. Um, on the other hand of things, um, when we look at translation theory, dubbing um, can actually be a way to be closer or even better than the original source. Um, and it really depends on the approach. Um, but um, one thing that I always really like to talk about is a phenomenon called subtitle blindness. Um, and basically this theory is like if you're watching a movie and it has subtitles in your language, um, you're not 100% of the time looking at the art on screen. You're not looking at the actors. You have to constantly be, you glance down at the subtitles, you read the subtitle, and then you go back up. Um, but all the time that you're reading that subtitle is time that somebody who spoke the source language was actually watching the film. Um, so by constantly having to look back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, you're actually not having as good of an experience as somebody who is watching it in the original language um, and didn't need the subtitles. Um, to the point where if you're like in an action scene or something and people are talking, you might glance away for maybe one or two seconds to read a subtitle. Um, but when you glance back, you've already missed like two or three of those crazy quick shots as they're fighting. Um, and some artists might say like, well, you just missed, like I spent three hours filming this fight scene and you missed half of it because you're reading my subtitles. Like, what the hell dude? Like I spent a really long time on the lighting, making sure the actors were doing the stuff right. Like that's a whole bit that you're missing. Um, and especially when you look at stuff like animation or with gaming, if you're looking down at the subtitling, that's, that's maybe like one to two hours of an animator's work, getting the rig to work right and whatnot that you've completely missed out on just because you were reading. Um, so that's what we call subtitle blindness. You're literally blind to what's going on because you're too busy reading the subtitles. Um, and that's where dubbing comes in is if you're, and this is assuming that the audience is hearing and not hearing impaired. Um, if they're able to listen and hear it in their language while they're watching, they're not going to miss any of that visual art that's going on. Um, so technically that brings them to a closer experience that the original audience would have. Now, of course, the dub has to be good. Like you can't just have a random dude in like a terrible microphone telling you what's going on. Like that's not gonna give you kind of that same experience. Um, but a good enough dub with actors that, you know, have the experience and are being directed by somebody who knows the medium um, can absolutely be just as good of an experience as watching it in the original and far better than watching it with subtitles i fully 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 agree with that <laughs> i think the context <laughs> that you gave there was was um spot on because i i i was also one of those people although i wasn't as fervent as the others on the dub suck thing because the first <laughs> anime i ever saw was dubbed like the, the first ones i saw were dubbed and i was like this is a fine i was okay you know <laughs> so i wasn't as, as as bad as the others but i have watched some really old ones and and, and read stories of like you know the, the the studios that were doing the dubbing were underfunded or the time was mm -hmm. short or the actors were like like it was their first time some of them just yeah. first time acting and stuff like that and some of those older actors are now 
like really good like they they admit to like in the beginning i was pretty shit but <laughs> now yeah. like my work's gotten better and all that stuff so yeah i think uh, it's just uh, i guess something that has to be debunked by them trying out uh one of them one of these days i guess yeah mm-hmm. pretty crazy that you know you you say it yourself oh i was i was that kind of fan at one point and now you know here you are yeah helping localize these games and you kind of like you, you're seeing it from the other side and i think that's actually there was something you said that really interested me there that a lot of the people who are who were growing up with this sort of thing are now at the age where they've ended up getting into the same field so would you say that you know getting actual fans of this sort of thing people who you know i've also heard stories from uh, other companies that the some of the localizers or trans you know people they hired for localization and translating and all that used to do you know a uh, fan fan mm-hmm. patches fan subs and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. what would you say the impact has been of getting those sorts of people into into these roles uh well it's really interesting that you say that because i am a person who used to do fan translation and got into the industry um so i have a i have a very close perspective on that um i would say and it really depends on the industry i know in the in the anime industry it's a little bit of a taboo like oh you're not really supposed to say you did it because you know we don't want to <laughs> advocate for piracy but like it's okay just don't mention that you used to um so i keep it on the deal on that side but i would say like when i went into sega and i mentioned it they're just like oh yeah no problem like all of us were fan translating back in the 90s and 2000s like it doesn't matter um so which was a very big shock to me um But yeah, I would say in terms of advantage or whatnot, obviously if you've got somebody who's passionate enough to do something for free and really care about it, like then obviously you're going to have somebody who's very passionate about doing it for money. On top of that, they've already gone through a lot of kind of those growing pains with localization. Um so for example, a lot of my very early fan work is very stilted, it's very literal, it's not very good. Like I look back on it recently, it's not good. So bad. Um but I got <laughs> through that I understood some of the issues I might have so like I was able to kind of as I practiced I got better and I've had that experience now under my belt just now I'm taking that into a more professional sense um so I think there's a lot of worth in you know looking at fan translators when I'm saying like hey I want to go to legit I want to help you guys out like also fan translating like I'm super down like I just want to do what I love and maybe get paid for it too um I think there's a lot of a lot of good that can come from that. Um I mean, I'm not to toot my own horn, but I feel like I've done pretty well. Um <laughs> and a lot of my peers who've come out of the fan translating co- community have also, you know, I've seen them do really well both like transitioning over to like writing dub scripts and whatnot, something they may have never done like, oh, I was the fan translator because I hate dubs, but now that they're working on a dub script, like, oh, this is really fun. Like, I can see these different challenges. Like, I want to make sure it comes out good. I don't want it to be like a bad dub like the ones I don't like. So you see a lot of these people coming in and being like, well, I know all the things that, you know, people in the community I used to serve, the fan community, might not want. So I want to create now a localization that will appeal to a broad audience including the people who I might have sided with before. So no, I think there's a ton of value in bringing these people into the industry. It's especially nice to hear that you are also from that sort of background that oh, you used to <laughs> do the fan subs and all the uh, fan translations of games and all that sort of stuff. That's it. It's always a perspective which uh, which has interested me because I'm someone who's played a lot of who used to play a lot of uh, fan translations. Yes, uh, don't 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 sue me. <laughs> used to play a lot of fan translations because a lot of games weren't getting localized at the time, and mm-hmm. then you know, now ten years later, a lot of some of those games which I like are getting translated. by people who were fans at the time so it's like it just fascinates me the, that that sort of perspective mm-hmm. yeah and like as robin said like from someone who's from this region you know southern africa which is like non-existent to everyone else apparently um like <laughs> that stuff it really does help like honestly speaking i don't think there would be an anime fandom here if not for not in the extent that it is you know like it's really uh 
democratized is that a real word um mm-hmm. the um access to these works and made so many different kinds of people into fans who uh, normally wouldn't be i mean i come from like a lower to middle class background i would have eventually gotten into anime but now that i'm making my own money i have like 20 figurines you know like i'm actually spending i was pirating but i'm spending on that stuff now right and i i write about anime you know like i'm super into the into the works and that would have never happened if there was if someone didn't say you know what let me localize this for these people who probably won't have access to it so i really do think it's it's a it's a it's necessary unfortunately still necessary i hope the industry makes it that it becomes unnecessary i i would absolutely have to agree um and again i don't want to seem like i'm endorsing for piracy or whatnot like it does help hurt creators it does hurt like people like me who like we're really hard localizing this game please please use mine and it's better i swear i talk to the developers every day that guy didn't um but if you definitely looking back at those those early days both with games and anime where you know not everything was coming over not everything was being translated especially like anime they were very hesitant to you know pick up licenses because it's very expensive to try to translate anything and th- because they want money to be like we want to c- sh- cut of the shares we want all of this other stuff so um yeah so it wasn't very profitable way back in the day so i think I absolutely think that fan translation created the audience that we now profit off of um, when we're looking at like companies and whatnot. Like, like Crunchyroll started off as a pirate com- like website where people were posting their fan translations um, and then transitioned to more legit. Um, and now if we look at the industry, they're realizing like, oh, like there's this whole community here that's super into anime, that's super into this, that, and the other thing. So now it's very profitable to come out with games with. 10 languages the same day it releases um or you know translate the anime so that it comes out the same day as it comes out in japan um and i've definitely seen a huge shift um like i quit fan translating way like almost 10 years ago now um but i stayed in touch with a lot of my fellow fan translators um and a lot of them you know as stuff became more available on crunchyroll or on manga sites or with games they're like well i don't need to do this anymore like there's nothing in it for me anymore. Like the game's coming out, the same day is coming out in Japan. Like I don't need to publish my guide. I don't need to do anything. It's it's all coming out now. So I think as we shift towards the simship industry, we're going to see less and less of that. Um, the fan translation stuff, which, you know, there's always going to be something to fan translate. There's always going to be something that doesn't get picked up. You know, there's a lot of indie games. There's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, manga that are in an obscure place on Twitter that need to, that have never been translated. Um, so I don't think that's going to kill fan translation, but it's definitely not going to be as crazy big as it was back in the day. And I don't think it's going to really influence our industry as much as it did back in the day either. But yeah, I would absolutely agree that like we would not be where we are. And a lot of very big franchises would not be where they are. Like like Naruto would not be as popular if it wasn't for people fan subbing it. Like, absolutely not. Like, I think on a similar, similar note, when it comes to the subject of fans, you've, uh, you've kind of alluded to this, I guess, but there's this whole, I don't know if you can call it a movement, these extremely vocal people, um, which bring up the topic of, uh, I guess you can say translation and localization, you know, mm-hmm. different things, which I guess you can say they are. And I wonder, how does that how does that subset of people influence your work if at all so uh, <laughs> actually i have a lot to say about this um and it's not going to be what they expect um so uh, to answer your question is no that has absolutely no influence on what we do like sorry you, you can complain all you want but that's just not how translation works um so i think in in the sphere of those very vocal people um they just don't it's easy to say they don't understand, but it's very clear that they don't understand the process of translation and localization. Um, because in their mind, it's one of two things. It's either you translate it or you localize it. And that's just really not how it works. Um, so it, in their definition, they would say that, oh, translation is you want to keep it as literal as possible, word for word, don't change anything, don't remove anything, don't add anything. Like, I want to read it as if I was reading it in Japanese. Um, and that's a great sentiment. Like we all want to be able to read it as closely as to what the original authors intended. Um, and in translation theory, we call that um, equivalent experience, or just equivalence. 
Um, the issue with getting an equivalent experience that like a Japanese fan might have is that there's more to the game or the text than just what the literally the words are on the screen. Um, so for example, the example I always use is like, if you're talking about a skateboarder in English and you see him fall off and like skin his knee, he might get up and be like, oh man, I really ate shit there. Um, but we know because he's a skateboarder, like he didn't actually like find a piece of poop <laughs> and put it in his mouth. Like we know that's not what he meant. Um, even though that's what his words literally said, we know he just, you know, hit really hard on the ground. Um, so in that same way, language is shaped and influenced by and intrinsically connected to the country we live in, the culture we're a part of both, you know, because I'm American, both like American culture and then perhaps like skateboarding culture. There's certain words that you use as a skateboarder that may make no sense at all to some guy in Britain who's never skateboarded before. Um, and part of the issue with translation is that when you take something out of for say Japan, like you want to take like maybe a, a book or something out of Japan and put it into American English, you're not just taking it from a language and putting it to another language. You're taking it from this whole cultural kind of system and putting it into a completely different cultural system. Um, and this is where localization comes in. Um, and part of the reason I always tell people you cannot translate something without localizing it. Um, now localization on its own just means taking something and bringing it into a new location or a new culture and adapting it so that the people in that culture will understand it. Um, this is something we have to do even between English language speakers. Um, I'm sure you can come up with some examples of your own because I know that the English speaking, spoken in Central South Africa is very different than American English. Um, but between British and American English, like, you know, they might call a truck a lorry or so we, we don't know what a lorry is or you got to go to the bonnet yeah. of the truck. We don't know what a bonnet is. Um, so, you know, if it, you're going between American Britain or Britain and Jamaica or Jamaican and South African English, like there's so many different regional differences in English that even if you're speaking the exact same language, the way that we use the language is completely different. Um, and that's localization. Even though you're not changing languages, that's localizing something. Um, but especially when you're going between languages, there's a lot more of that localization at play because culture influences language. Um, one example I really like to use is in English, we have a word specifically for somebody tricking you into watching a video of Rick Astley is never gonna give you up. We call it Rick rolling. Um, but if you go out maybe to a very remote place in Russia where they've never seen the video and try to explain them, oh, I just got Rickrolled, you'd have to spend a lot more time saying, okay, okay, so this video on the internet with this guy who's singing and you have to trick somebody into watching it. It's very funny. You have to trust me. Um, but there's no way to translate that word Rickroll into Russian without explaining it or, you know, maybe you'll change it to something else that might be funnier to a Russian audience. Um, but that's that's all part of the process of localization. Um, so when we're localizing an anime or a movie or a game, that's something we constantly have to think about is um, we have to be very aware of the source culture. So for me, that would be Japan is I have to know a lot about Japan, Japanese history. Um, when they bring up something while they're speaking, I have to think like, well, if I was a native, somebody who was born and raised in Japan and watching this, like, what would I be thinking about? Are they referencing a TV show in Japan that we've never seen before? Um, are they talking about something that we don't do maybe in another culture? Like, you know, they're going to the public bath and getting naked with all their friends. That's not something we do in America. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of things we have to think about and then say, well, what's the purpose of this? Like, what is the author or the animators, the game designers want the person to feel or understand from the scene? And from there, we take that and say, okay, well, if these developers were English, how would we make that happen in an English audience? Like, how would we have them have the same feeling, the same experience? Um, and it's from there that we have to start changing things. We have to start localizing stuff a little bit more just so that, you know, an English player would have the exact same experience as a Japanese player. Um, and I think these fans that are very critical of us saying like, oh, well, like, I want it like this or I want the words one to one don't realize that they're going to be missing a lot from that. They're not going to be having the same experience. What these fans actually want is a completely different experience from people might be having in Japan. Um, and a lot of the times this is because like, oh, well, I know some Japanese words, so I want them to leave like kawaii or moe or that <laughs> kind of stuff in Japanese. Um, and sometimes it's just because like, oh, like 
well, I, I understand a little bit of Japanese, but I just need help. So I want to learn Japanese by watching the subtitles. Um, and I think that's great. And there's no issue in, you know, creating subtitles that way. Like there's there's nothing stopping us from saying like, you know what, for the next Yakuza game, we're just going to do it all super literal. And like, you guys can learn a whole bunch of Japanese words and that's great. Um, but when it comes down to it, that's not going to be the exact same experience. Um, and when we look at stuff like entertainment, um, especially a video game, we don't want somebody playing in California to have a completely different experience and have to learn all these Japanese words, they have to break out the dictionary, like they have to figure out what the heck is going on because that's just that's way too much work. They just want to play a video game and have fun. Um, and that's what localization is all about. Um, and there's, there's so many different ways that you can approach localization. There are certain companies that stick a lot closer. They don't want to add too much like silliness. Um, there's some other companies like I know Square Enix with Final Fantasy 14 in English has added a lot more jokes. They've made it a lot more palatable to an English audience. And there are lots of people, and I would even say myself included sometimes that I'm like, okay, like that's going a little bit too far. Like, I don't like how they localize that. But what I can say is I understand why they did what they did. And I think that's what a lot of these kind of localization critical fans are missing is they don't stop to think, well, why did they change this to be funny? Or why was this, why did they take these honorifics out? Um, in their minds, it's very much like, the, well, the only reason they're doing it is because they hate us or they hate <laughs> Japan or they want to censor it to make a liberal agenda kind of thing. And it's like, no, that's the, like, I'm very liberal, but I'm just going to translate it the way it is and, you know, I'm going to localize it so that you can understand it and have as much fun with it as somebody who was playing it in Japan. Like, there's no, there's no ulterior motives here, I swear. Like, so I really wish, like, if we could sit down with these fans and say, like, look, like, like, I understand you're, you're not very happy with these things. And in the past, there have been localizations that have gone too far. Like, there's, they always bring up a couple of anime examples when they're trying to pull stuff up or like, hey, this this Japanese game is completely different in Japanese than in English. And it's like, yeah, that's that's just a localization decision. That wasn't somebody saying like, I want to specifically make these guys mad. Like this is, there's a lot of thought goes into localization versus just like, oh, well, I'm just gonna make something up. Like we can't do that. We get in a lot of trouble if we make things up. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very complicated process. Um, but I think with most people who are very vocal on the internet, they don't really stop to think about you know why something might be some way or like why you know it's and it's okay not to like it i think is another thing they need to understand like that's fine like if you don't like a localization that's okay it doesn't mean it's wrong like most of us really don't like the way like in america we have four kids who took like like one piece and edited all the guns to be squirt guns and removed all the boobs and kind of stuff and a lot of people are very still very angry at them for that but i always say it was like well that wasn't a bad localization they just very, went very extreme they they had a thing they wanted to do and then they did it and mm. it worked very well for the very young children who wanted to watch one piece like i probably wouldn't ask a 25 year old to go watch the one piece dub of one piece or the four kids dub of one piece <laughs> but for the people they were doing it for it was very good so anyways i've long story short it's very complicated and i wish that they would understand that yeah i think that that answers my question good enough <laughs> 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 I I think I've got a good idea of how someone working on these sort of things feels with regards to, you know, that that sort of discourse. It comes up like every once in a while on Twitter, you will see oh, yeah. some guy, uh, you know, he'll, he'll post a screen cap of something and then he'll say, no, this isn't what this is supposed to be. And he posts his own translation and then it starts this big ruckus and like, oh no, here we go again. Oh yeah, I've actually, I've had a couple of those happen to me on my anime work because I do a lot of anime translation nowadays. Um, and I've had a couple be like, no, that's not what he says, he says this. And I'm like, yeah, but like, this is part of a whole, like, you took it out of context. This is like a whole scene where he's making fun of this. And like, yeah, I know he doesn't specifically say that, but like, it works better in context. It doesn't sound terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, if they want to learn Japanese, they can learn Japanese, is kind of my, <laughs> my thought. I'm like, sorry, learn Japanese, you know, it's hard, but you'll get used to it, and then you won't have to rely on translations, but, yeah. <laughs> is that, like, a lot of the time when they're kind of criticizing things, they're just like, like, I had one guy who was like, oh my god, you made this mistake, like, I can't believe you made this mistake, and I'm like, oh, cool, I made a mistake, thanks, I'll fix that. 
Um, I think what people don't realize is like, oh, well, if you're a translator, you have to be 100% perfect all the time. And like, if you mess up, then clearly you don't speak the language. I'm like, well, you know, like, like I'm I'm the only human. Like, I make mistakes all the time. Um, I try not to. I do like two or three passes over all my translating work. Like, when we go over stuff, like we, when we send things to QA, we try to make sure it's as polished as possible. But like, we make mistakes. It's It just happens. Like, we may not even be rushed. We may be taking our time, but that's just... You know, everyone makes mistakes. Um, and I think a lot of that that very critical crowd is like, oh my gosh, they made a mistake. Like, I hate I hate this company. I'm never gonna buy from them again. Like, it's like, nah, dude, like sometimes the mistakes just gets through and then we fix it and then you watch it the next day and it's totally fine. Like, you're good, dude. It's, you know. Even though I've been studying this language for 15 years, I still make mistakes. It, it happens. I mean, we make mistakes in English, we, even though we're native speakers. Like, we have to look stuff up in the dictionary. We don't remember how to spell things. Like, we might use the wrong word. Like, yeah, it just, it just happens. <laughs> true, true. Happens all the time. It's just a normal thing. <laughs> I have um, some questions about, like, um, how do you deal with, like, uh, slang, idioms? Yes. You know stuff like that that's so culturally specific like yes that's a that's a really good question um so i've already mentioned this idea of equivalent experience um and again that's just making sure that somebody who's playing something in the target language or english uh, has the exact same understanding and experience as somebody in japanese um so when it comes to that um my typical go-to with slang is if they're using slang in the, in the source you should probably use slang in the english um but slang like so much of language is so tied to culture and when i like i just explained rickroll is is a is a form of slang um and it's just tied to our online communities and our culture so when we're translating slang it's less of okay like i need to make sure i explain what the slang word means in japanese it's more like okay well he's using slang to call this guy basically an asshole. Um, you know, he's not saying like this person is literally an anus, but you know, <laughs> if, if we were, if this guy was, it, it wasn't in Tokyo, he was in Los Angeles and was telling this guy he's angry at him. He probably uses slang word like asshole or bastard or something like that. So it's about finding a word that's equivalent that expresses the same meaning, um, has very similar tone um, and might be something that the author would have written if the author was fluent in the target language. Um, so that's how we handle slang and the same way we handle idioms as well. Um, idioms are so tied to culture and history. Like there's a lot of idioms that come out of, you know, famous books or famous works of literature. There's stuff that comes out of our history. Like the word okay is based off of some like propaganda from like the 1800s. So the, the way that slang and other words make it in especially like with idioms, you have to look at, okay, what exactly is this an idiom for? Like, what is, what's the, what are they trying to say with this idiom? Like, oh, the early bird catches the worm would mean like, hey, like being early is good. So all I would have to do is find an idiom in the target language that means something that's very similar or kind of the same. Like what's something that means being early is good in the target language. Um, and if I could find that, then I could put that in. Um, if not, then I may need to just use a regular expression and then try to, find a way to fit the idiom in later. So yeah, it's it's a very complicated process, but it really comes down to that, making sure you can express the original meaning in the same way. That sounds super hectic, dude. Like, oh my <laughs> goodness. Like, it means you have to like know the other cultures, like idioms as well. Like that's, oh, yes. my goodness. Yikes. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of work, and uh, I would I would say that it's very important as a translator or a localizer to know both of the culture and the history of the source um, where the source was made, and then the, where you're going. Obviously, um, one really interesting story I always tell is in my master's program. There are ten of us, and two of us had not lived in Japan, um, so we were translating a passage from a book. Um, and in the book, uh, the character goes to ride the train and she uses a like a special commuter card that's used in Tokyo. It's called a Suica, mm -hmm. um, which literally means watermelon, but it's supposed to be like a like a, a quick card kind of thing. So everyone just calls it Suica, even in English. Um, but the people who had not lived in Japan, who had never bought or used a Suica or in the train in Japan, were very confused. And they asked the professors, like, why is she, why does she have a watermelon at the train station? 
Why is she? She's carrying a watermelon in her bag. She's never like, is she going to a party? Like, what's going on? And then we had to say, no, no, no. It's not like an actual watermelon. It's the type of commuter card. Um, and because they didn't have the experience, they didn't have that cultural knowledge. Um, it was very confusing for them. Um, and luckily, we have the internet and stuff. So there's every once in a while, I'll run into something because I haven't lived in Japan for almost five or six years now. Um, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is, but I can Google it in Japanese. Um, and there'll be people talking about it and be like, oh, okay, this is a commuter card. She's not actually holding a watermelon. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, understanding and knowing what's going on in the culture and the, the history, or even politically, depending on what you're working on. Um, is really important to making sure that gets translated properly in your target language. Are there any like games that you've worked on that were a considerable challenge um, in terms of uh, stuff like that? Or any anecdote that you recall, you were like, wow, that's <laughs> like, that was sure was an experience. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I think every game project really brings different challenges. Um, there are some game projects coming out of developers that aren't very good coders, but they're really good like with their art and their writing. Um, so sometimes when those come in, we have to spend two or three weeks like, okay, like these code files, if if be very, very careful with them. Because if I don't know if you've ever written code before, but if you like delete the wrong piece of punctuation, then the whole game crashes. So you have to be very careful with those. So we'll spend two or three weeks like making sure the files are okay to work on. Um, there's other games that have like so much dialogue in them that it's like, okay, like our voice recording period is going to be so long for this. Like, how do we, how do we write a schedule for this localization, do all of this voice work and still get it out at the same time as Japan? Um, I think in terms of like actual translation issues that I've had, um, oh my goodness, I can't, it's been a while since I've worked on like actually translating a game and I don't think I can give any specific examples. Um, but there was one time when I was working on an anime for, uh, for Hulu a couple of years ago uh, that had a character who was like very, that very big busty girl from France and she uses a sword to fight people and whatnot. And she was using all of these French words as she's fighting, kind of like, like in a fighting game to like say the mm. name of the move they're making when they're fighting. Um, but the French words were all written in Japanese. Um, and the, French is not a language that translates it's very hard to write French and Japanese already as it is. So I had a lot of difficulty figuring out what the heck she was saying, like what her fencing moves were. I had to call my friend who's like an Olympic fencer and be like, well, you look at this girl's move and hear her stupid French and tell me what she's doing. And he watched it. And he's like, I have no idea what she's doing. So, I called my friend. so then I called my friend who's a French interpreter and said, listen to this. I know she's saying it with a Japanese accent because they're all the voice actors are Japanese. So I was like, what is she saying? And it doesn't make sense. And she listens to it and she goes, I don't know what she's saying. Oh it's not a real French word. Um, and eventually, after a couple more hours of research, I got a French to Japanese dictionary for fencing. I watched some fencing videos in French and Japanese. Like, I was trying to figure out what the, this like, fencing move was. And eventually, I had them contact the studio. And this studio said, oh, we just made up a word that sounded French. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, guys, can I just... Can I just make, can I just use this word? They're like, oh yeah, that's fine. Translation, that's fine. But I just remember just like getting that email back and just be like, oh yeah, no, that's not real. And I'm like, oh, thanks guys. <laughs> I just did so much research. I was like, so convinced. I'm like, this has to be a real fencing move because all of her other moves are real fencing moves. So yeah, no, I just, that's, that's always going to be in my mind, but you know, you, you never know what you're going to run into when you're translating. And that's another reason why it's so important to be in contact with the creators and the developers because they can be the ones to tell you, oh, it's a made up French word versus, you know, if the, we were localizing a game in, in the olden days and weren't able to talk to them, you know, we might really be calling up all of our French translator friends and being like, all right, guys, like, put your heads together. We need to figure out what they're trying to say here. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other, like, anime where, the, um, like, some of the characters would... This was kind of common in there early 2000s mid 2000s where they would speak like german or english or whatever and you're like that's definitely yes. not like german mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah no that's very interesting an additional thing i think this will relate given given you know you said you worked on like persona 5 royal and mm -hmm. all that stuff so when it comes to these uh re-releases extended re-releases like well, for example uh the Yakuza Remastered Collection, that's an example of a re-release. Or yeah. Yakuza Kiwami games, those are remakes. Persona mm -hmm. 5 or extended re-releases. What kind of 
like obviously you have the prior release which was worked on mm-hmm. which was localized and now you you've been given yes there'll be some new content but a lot of it is mostly the same so like to what extent do you like go and start changing some things which you feel like okay maybe i should change this or is that that sort of you know that voice in your head which is say no 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 but the old translation was like this and maybe mm-hmm. the english fans will wonder why did this change and mm-hmm. and so on you know that's so that's sort of mindset Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Um and it's great that you say that because I actually I worked on Persona 5 Royal. I did some writing for the for the remasters for Yakuza 3, 4 and 5. I was I translated, wrote and engineered on that project. It's crazy. Um uh yeah, and th- so so remastering remasters of a game or re-releases of a game with new content is something I mean, we've seen in the game industry before, but I think especially now as they're like trying to get new fans into franchises like they're really going to start ramping up these remasters and re-releases. Um and when it comes to localizing um it is a really great opportunity to go back and be like hey like this is a we can touch this up like oh like this item name we decided to translate differently and like the rest of the five games after that let's maybe change that so it's all in line. So there's a lot of things that we can go back and touch up. I would say the biggest factor to how much we touch up is really how much time do we have to work on the game? Um because our first and foremost focus is all the new stuff, um especially if maybe something's getting released to a new console, we want to make sure that all of the console buttons are working properly and are named correctly for the new console. Um so we want to focus on that first, um but it's always a great opportunity to go back and change some things that are either inconsistent, um sometimes things got rushed out the door and didn't get properly translated um so uh yeah it's it's really if we have the time to go back and do it i think i don't think there's a a translator or localizer in the world who doesn't play something that they've done even something recent and go like oh i would have done that differently or oh this is a mistake i want to fix that um so yeah i think um it really like i said it really depends on if you have the time and if you could work out the time with the developer but i'm always anytime that i'm on a remaster project i'm always one of the people who's like we absolutely we should go back and fix this absolutely we should go back um and i know that on p5r we did go back and touch up a couple things here and there which i was super super excited about uh, especially working on p5r um and yeah no i was i was very happy um that we were able to go back and have the time to fix stuff up on that title um but yeah no and moving forward if we if we or another studio ends up doing re-releases remasters of that that did have localizations even if like you know if it is figs or other languages um i would definitely say like it's worth getting those same translators back and being like hey what do we want to touch up what do we want to fix like what do we want to change to make it more in line with the mainline series and i guarantee you those translators will be like oh man well i was replaying it like last year and i realized there's all this other stuff going on so yeah no i think it's great for everybody involved to be able to go back and fix stuff um if time is permitting i get you i understand that There's, there's always those small changes which you which some people notice and then like hey why has Sky why is the, like I'm pretty sure in P5R and P5 some uh, like uh, persona names changed and I was like hey how did this happen so you you <laughs> you, you wonder <laughs> yeah no and I can't remember anything specific about that I don't think I was working on that part of the game um but I think a lot of a lot of the stuff that changes is like when the first time you put it out you don't have as much um co- like context um or you don't realize like oh this is being taken from a game that came out like 10 years ago um but then you release it and you've got like a couple fans who are like hold on a second i'm pretty sure this is supposed to be that so sometimes it really does help to uh, get that opportunity to go back and be like okay the fans have pointed out these issues like definitely want to fix those um but no it's uh Yeah, ter- terminology I could talk about for hours, but terminology is is the bane of our existence you know, when it comes to stuff that's like the the really high fantasy where you've got like the 200 different monsters with all these made up names. Um it's hard to keep track of that especially over like a long running series. So, um yeah, it's, it's a, remasters are a great time to go back and fix terminology issues. Have you have you ever worked on or um is it the same localization groups or companies that work on stuff going from english to japanese um so is the question then like so if i'm working on the the team that's translating from japanese to english 
uh, the same that would be doing English to Japanese? Or mm. is this a question, have I worked on any projects where we went from English to Japanese? I think it's both. Like, is, is it the same companies or...? Um, so that's a good question. Um, so at Sega, we have an internal department, um, but we only go from Japanese to English. Um, and that I would say is probably better for everyone. Um, kind of the industry standard is when you're localizing, especially something with entertainment, you go in one direction. Um, so even though I do speak fluent Japanese, I do not translate into Japanese. I've gotten offers, but I always turn them down saying like, you can hire me and you can pay me to do the translation of Japanese, but it will never be as good as somebody who's native Japanese. Um, just because I wasn't born in Japan. I don't understand all the culture. Um, I might be able to speak very well and maybe even like write some some nice fiction, but it's never going to be as fluent and as in tune with a culture and what people expect as somebody who is native born. Um, so no, we don't have the same people on the same team go back and forth between languages. We have some bilingual speakers, but they will typically only translate into Japanese if they're working on bugs or, you know, working on more technical things. Um, we don't go both ways. Um, I have worked on projects where we go from English into Japanese. Um, the Sonic Colors was one of them. Um, and in that case, and it really depends on the development studio. Um, some, some studios, I think Square Enix, if they have anything that's developed in America, they do have their own internal team. I don't know if they have any developers over here. I know Nintendo definitely has their own internal team for Japanese for stuff that's developed over here. Um, I don't think they really have much stuff developed over here now though, unless it's indie. Um, but yeah, typically there's a go-to either an internal studio or an external studio. Um, for example, like keywords that you could go to and say, hey, I need this translated from English into Asian languages. Um, and then they will help find the, the correct people to help do that for you. Um, but yeah, typically a translator for game media will only go from one language into a, their native language. Two last questions. Sure. I think one, one can be answered with a yes or no. Okay. So the first one, uh, are you working by any chance on SMT5, the localization? Do you, have you had any input? Uh, if you I, can I would say, say I've had, I, <laughs> so I have worked, I have been working on SMT5, yes. Um, I, but all of the work that I've done has been uh, localization engineering and a bit of coordination. Um, so I actually, I've seen the, I have, I've seen the game, I've seen the text, but I have not actually worked on it. All my stuff is back end, so. Um, I do know everybody who's worked on the team. I've worked with them for the last couple of years at Sega. They're really great translators, really great localizers. Um, they've done an amazing job. Um, same with the production lead. Um, so I'm really excited for it to come out and for everybody to finally get their hands on it. So it's going to be a really great experience. Everyone's done a great job. All right. That, that's, more, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this in D5. I think I'm so excited. This point is probably the game I'm looking forward to most coming out it's really good. for the rest of the year. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. And lastly, what have you been playing lately? Oh my gosh. Uh, so I recently resubscribed to Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, I'd been playing it since launch, like way back in 2014, 2013, but I finally got right back into it because Endmark is coming back out. So I've been playing that. Um, I'm very much into management games. Uh, so recently I've been playing Dyson Sphere program a lot. Um, it's developed by these uh, these indie developers over in China and they're just super passionate about what they do. Um, and it hits all the right itches. Like it's just super gorgeous. You're in the, the universe, you get to fly around between the planets, um, but you also get to like optimize your factory and make sure all your production lines are going well. And that's always just scratches the right itch for me. So love Dyson Sphere program. I love Final Fantasy XIV. Um, Gosh, uh, I just finished Deathloop uh, last week. That was amazing. If you haven't played Deathloop, like I put it up there with like Portal 2. Like it's just wow. the writing's super good. Really? The playthrough is really, really fun. Um, there's so many little details of the dev to put in that like it's so worth going through and playing it two or three times. Like there's there's a ridiculous amount of replayability. Um, I think some people were disappointed because they thought the game would be longer. Um, I think I was able to complete it in like 20 to 30 hours. Um, but there's, it's it's one of those kind of old fashioned games where it's like, yeah, you can just do the main path and be done with it. Or you can go through and do all the little side quests. There's so much hidden stuff and the game doesn't necessarily tell you that there's a whole bunch of hidden stuff. So there's so much replayability value in it. It's great. If you haven't played Deathloop, like absolutely, probably my favorite game of the year so far. Um, but yeah, no, super, super fun. Um, and that also got localized into a bunch of languages. So you can 
play it in one of some half dozen languages. It's so good, though. Okay, okay, that's a really good phrase for for death loops. I I'm surprised you said you can like you're replaying it. I thought it's design nature meant that you could only kind of play it once, you know, because you're going back and forth, you're going back into the levels constantly. So yeah. I'm surprised you said you like you can play it again. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, like for me, I did a lot of the side stuff um, and then decided I wanted to finish the main quest because I was really invested in the characters. Um, but there's still a lot of little secrets that like, I, I have this whole like kind of notes written down. And I was like, oh, I really want to go back to this time of day and this location to find this thing. Um, there's certain achievements you can't get unless you like do things in a specific order. There's just like a lot of really fun little things. Um, and I've even found some stuff out online that I'm like, oh, I want to go back in and like find this little Easter egg that the devs put in or like, try to get this secret thing so yeah no it's just it's so complex like the amount of work the devs put in is really great and i would hate for people to finish it and go well i'm not gonna go back to that um because there's so many little fun things with all the characters and whatnot so yeah no I, it's it's super duper fun i love it awesome is, are there any games that are coming out that you're looking forward to oh boy um well i know my husband's really looking forward to the new metroid um He's super into Metroid. Oh, he's behind me. He's like, oh, yeah, babe. <laughs> he's going to um, support so you here. Coming. Yeah, no. So that's I coming hope, out. I, I hope he's also one of Go the ahead. few believers who's like, who believes that Metroid Prime 4 is real and coming out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, yeah, uh, Elden Ring coming out next year. I got a lot of hype for that. Uh, my husband's a big Souls gamer, so he's... Uh, waiting with bated breath for that to come out. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I I tend to kind of bounce between like the same couple of management games. I play a lot of little indie games here and there. So I'm I'm always on top of what's coming out in like the next six to 12 months of the industry. But it's very, it's very rare that I'm like, oh, that looks really interesting. Even Deathloop, like I had my eyes on it for a very long time, but I wasn't really planning on playing it day one um, until the reviews and a couple of my friends started coming out and being like, yo, you gotta play this game, it's so good. It's right up your alley, so. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of anything else that I'm super excited for. Oh, probably uh, the new Mario Party, though. Actually, I just realized we're really excited <laughs> to play that in my friends' group. Mario Party is always always fun until it's not, and then it's fun again. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you you had you either have to have like lots of alcohol or like marijuana involved, or like play with people that aren't your friends. <laughs> I think we have we played we played a game in college. This must have been like ten years ago. We played with our friend, and we were playing on like the old versions, or like Mario Party Two or something. Someone brought in like their old like Nintendo sixty four. Uh, we were playing it, and one of our friends was very very good. We all got very very upset about him keeping us. So we we got into like one of those mini games, and we all decided like we are going to sabotage him, even though we're all <laughs> on his team. We're going to sabotage him so he loses. And we did that for about an hour and he got so upset he actually left the party. He was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. And we had to call him and be like, we're really sorry. Like, we just meant it to be silly. Like, we were trying to be mean. He's like, well, I, I like doing well in Mario Party. I'm like, well, yeah, but we don't. So, oh, it was, there's so much drama, but, you know, everything's fine. But he still talks about that. He's like, yeah, I don't play Mario Party with you guys anymore. Oh, don't my you goodness. You guys traumatized him. <laughs> we totally traumatized He deserved it. He kicked her ass, like, for three hours in a row. He did he got what he deserved <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you so much katrina for um coming on i certainly learned a lot um i'm glad yeah. it was a pleasure being here thank you so much for having me